well seen those young children who are natural leaders. They are coordinating groups of kids and productions. They run for student council or positions of leadership in both high school and college. They are individuals, but when you meet them, you instantly know they're going to be in positions of influence. But what career could that include? Our guests, Sydney Chapon in Global Operations, Leadership and Organizational Development, which has been the cornerstone of Sid's career. He's built a reputation for being a strategic and trusted coach and business advisor at Publicis Group, Leo Burnett Worldwide, and Deloitte Consulting, and has proven positive impact across industries, including professional services, integrated marketing, communications, advertising, financial services, telecommunication, consumer packaging, oil and gas, and electronics. Sid is a citizen of the world. He was born in the Netherlands and is currently based in the U.S., however, spends portion of his time in Paris, France. He has operations and coaching experience in Asia Pacific, Europe, Latin America, the Middle East, and North America. He works for the third largest integrated marketing communication company that owns multiple advertising and media agencies. In his role, he helps create the company's holdings corporate university. Sid holds a master's degree in organizational development and is a certified executive coach. Well, I am really excited about today's podcast. I have known Sidney since we were both actually in college. He was attending the University of Tulsa and I was at Northeastern and we met um, at a student activity conference. And, you know, you meet people in your life where you know they're really special. And Sid was one of those individuals. And I've loved watching his career progression because we kind of started out professionally doing the same thing. And then he went up through the corporate ranks and has been incredibly successful. He is majorly respected in his industry. And so it's a real honor for him to share his time and wisdom. And when I say wisdom, he has a lot of it. And what I love about him is that we challenge each other. um, I think that's the gift of having professional colleagues and mentors and really strong relationships because you need people who make you better. So welcome, Sydney. Thank you, Dana. And it is awesome to be with you. Good. Well, as I was looking through, you know, my contacts going, okay, what do, what do I find that students and, and adults, because, you know, they're not all young adults, um, and I'm going to make this a very broad uh, statement, but kind of the HR, the training, the global organization comes up, and often they don't really know what that looks like, and and the tasks that go along with it and the career progressions that can occur. Sometimes we I hear the word training and it's, it doesn't really um, do it justice, which is why when I was putting together his banner, um, you know, it was, I think we had said training and he said, we train dogs, but we develop people. And I thought that was a really beautiful way of, of articulating it. So tell me a little bit about, your career progression, how did you get into it? Why did you get into it? Um, And a little bit about your background. I will start by saying when people ask me about my career, um, I see my role to be helping individuals and companies grow and develop. Um, And I do that in the role of, to some degree, as you and I spoke a little bit about as we prepared for this as an industrial 
organizational psychologist, if you will. Uh, but I did not take a traditional industrial slash organizational psychologist type career or education progression. Um, I did my undergrad. I'm very, very lucky um, in that I discovered probably as a college sophomore um, I took an organizational communication class, and I had a faculty member called his name was Roger Kood, who was very instrumental in my development. Uh, but I learned very early on in my academic career that organizational communication, change and development is something that I wanted to pursue and I was really interested in. I was also interested in marketing and advertising. So I graduated from the University of Tulsa uh, with a Bachelor in Organizational Communication, was the major, a minor in marketing. Um, and what I would recommend any undergraduate to do or somebody in college is to become heavily involved with extracurricular activities. I think you learn as much outside of the classroom as you learn in the classroom. And it's probably the extracurricular, practical, hands-on application of your knowledge and skills um, that develops you for, for your career. So um, I graduated with my undergraduate degree. Um, I pursued a master's degree in organizational change and development. Um, at that time, I was working in admissions at the University of Tulsa. Um, decided I wanted to go into learning and development. And um, I think one of the lessons in my career was not to get too stuck on titles and status. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, was the associate dean of undergraduate admissions at the University of Tulsa which was a great job. I didn't love it. I wanted to go into learning and organizational development. So I left and I took a training coordinator position at WorldCom. And my job was to prepare training environments with overhead projectors and printed materials and, and supplies. Um, I migrated to become the training manager for WorldCom for their information services center. Was there, eventually became a human capital consultant uh, based out of Chicago, working for Deloitte Consulting. I then moved to uh, Lee Obernet Worldwide, a global advertising company, uh, where I had multiple roles. I was first an, a human resource information system support manager, then took on a remit and was responsible for global learning and development for Leo Burnett, uh, became a chief of staff of sorts, and four years ago was invited by Publicis Group, Leo Burnett's holding company, to join uh, Publicis Group. Uh, to develop a holding company level learning and development department, if you will. So my job right now is with Publicis Group. It's 85,000 employees across the globe. And essentially, my job is to help Publicis grow financially as a company by developing programs and systems that support the development of our people. And so what can you give us an example of what that would actually look like? So tell me sure. your day in the life of what, what you do. Yeah, so so I'll talk about two different things how it looks like, and then I and then you keep me honest by telling you what a day in the life looks like. Um, so helping hone the performance of our people can take multiple forms. Um, one of them is through just traditional training and development. So one of my jobs essentially is to continue to provide our people learning opportunities, not like being a high school student, an undergraduate or a graduate student, uh, just because you find full-time employment at a company doesn't mean that learning stops. So mm -hmm. I have a philosophy, and I would recommend any of your listeners to 
be a student of life. You should be continually developing yourself, Mm -hmm. continue Mm -hmm. to hone new skills and improve your craft. So I do that at Publicis Group through two ways. One, I am responsible for face-led slash instructor-led learning opportunities. So we have a number of people that are responsible for selling um, services to our clients. So I create learning programs that help our people learn about the capabilities in our organization. So really what scope of services do we provide? How do we provide them? What kind of tools are available to them? I teach them the art of negotiation, public speaking, uh, consultative selling. Um, But I also teach soft skills. I teach people how to be better managers, uh, how to be better leaders. I think one of the things that we've learned is that many people are promoted because they are good at what they do. They produce good, tangible results. But how they produce those results can sometimes leave a lot of people in their wake. So learning Mm -hmm. how to develop people along the way and be a good leader sometimes falls to the sidelines. So I develop management and leadership development courses, and then those could be a day or multi-day instructor-led training programs. Uh, Another way I do that is through individual executive coaching. Uh, We perform performance appraisals for employees, Mm -hmm. not unlike getting grade cards. Right. right. (laughs) Um, You know, so um, our leaders and managers are evaluated several times a year on their performance. We evaluate what did they accomplish and how do they accomplish it. And then I take that feedback and I work with their supervisor um, and that individual and talk about how to improve their performance. And I do that then through individual executive coaching assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I use some assessments for that. Um, I take uh, multi-rater feedback. So how I continue to develop our people kind of differs by situation. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the personality type that does well in this organization. Um, in my intro, I talked about those People who are just natural leaders, you know, they're running for student council. They're taking charge of theater productions. Um, I know you were very involved in leadership positions at undergrad. So was I. Um, So tell me a little bit about the qualities that you find you need to have in order to do well in this career field. The, The type of individual that would do well in this is somebody who is naturally curious. Um, In terms of being introvert or extrovert, I actually think that in this industry, there's room for both. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're going to do instructor-led training, learning, and development, it helps to uh, be a little bit of of a shows person, if you will, (laughs) somebody who likes to be the center of attention and and facilitate a classroom. But there's also room for people that go into learning and development that are introverts. Um, Mm -hmm. As I think people are experiencing now, there's a lot of e-learning going on. So if you're going to be an instructional designer, Uh, where you're going to be developing curriculum to be delivered by others, then it's perfectly fine to to be an introvert and sit at your desk and, and, um, you know, do that. Um, I think having, you know, just being a people person does help just being genuinely interested um, in people. So I just want to see if that really understands. that answers your your question no it does it does um you know i think you made a good point a lot of people think introverts can't do it and i think sometimes the introverts in many ways are better at the performance evaluation piece the harder conversations you know they're um i think it's the finessing of an interaction is nice 
Um, you know, you kind of talk about as you progress through the ranks, sometimes you don't want to leave people in your wake from personality wise. Um, and so um, as you kind of went through the training process, um, did you spend time in HR at all? Um, I actually have not spent time in mm-hmm. HR. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about this when I, you know, I started my career in training development, if you will, at, at WorldsCom, which was mm-hmm. a large telecommunications uh, company in the day. And I was part of the inform- the IT organization in learning and development, which was not part of HR. And then I went to Deloitte Consulting, where mm-hmm. I was an external facing consultant and worked on different projects. And what was interesting about Deloitte, and, and this would be unsolicited recommendations for any of your listeners, mm-hmm. um, if you can find a consulting gig, mm-hmm. a consulting job for a large consulting company like a Deloitte or Accenture, do it. Um, mm-hmm. I I find that my career was enhanced greatly by having five years of external consulting experience. And, mm-hmm. and here's why. One, not only do companies like a Deloitte or an Accenture, they do a phenomenal job of developing people's knowledge and skills and provide tools um, to, to just be a good employee. But by being an external consultant, you are exposed to different industries, right? Right. Um, different ways of working, different company problems, mm-hmm. um, different types of people to work with. Um, so that's my plug for, <laughs> for for encouraging people: if you can find a job working for a consulting company, do it for a couple of years. Um, but I left there, and then I did join Leo Burnett Worldwide as part of their global human resources organization. Mm -hmm. So I sat within the umbrella of the HR organization, but I very much had a focus on learning and organizational change and development. So Mm -hmm. I I was not an HR generalist. I didn't get involved with recruiting uh, compensation. I was not an HR generalist. I I had kind of a, a laser sharp focus on developing our people. Right. So tell me about, I know your major, but tell me what, because oftentimes people are like, okay, how do I get to that? What should I major in? Do you have recommendations? Uh, well, I do. And it's interesting because I think things have changed. Again, I'm very fortunate because I'm 25 plus years in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an organizational change and development expert, but I would say the whole notion of being organizational development uh, was not even something that had right. vocabulary 25 exactly. years ago. Exactly. So um, right now, I do know that there's industrial psychology is a major people can go into. I mm-hmm. think organizational communication is a major people can go into. I live in Evanston, Illinois. So I'm down the street from Northwestern University. They have a master's degree, a master's in learning and organizational change. Mm-hmm. Um, so At the end of the day, I'm not so sure if it's that relevant what type of major you have. I think that having a good understanding of the liberal arts is important mm-hmm. and knowing about business. Okay? Right. And I think that second piece is, is probably most important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that has helped me in my career is I don't come in as a traditional theoretic learning and organizational development person. Um, I have those skills, I have that knowledge, but I come 
to it with a business perspective. At the end of the day, what the companies I work for care about is revenue growth. Right, right. <laughs> they want to they want to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to be very in tune with what is happening with the business, what the mm-hmm. business vision is, what the strategy is, um, and how we go to market. I have to understand that because by understanding what is in the minds and hearts of our leaders, I then need to develop programs and help shape the mindset and skill set of the people working for our company to help meet those organizational objectives. So I think for somebody that's going to pursue this is, yeah, you want to know the nuts and bolts of learning and organizational development, Mm -hmm. but you have to understand how businesses operate. Yeah, I think that's a very powerful point. And, you know, within the Holland's Codes, and we talk about interest, um, you know, the training part typically draws people who want to make a difference. They want to have an impact. Um, there's definitely an artistic piece to it. Um, if you could see Sid, because he's, in, you know, outside of Chicago, um, he has artwork behind him, which just cracks me up because that's, you know, part of, you know, what you like, you have to be a creative person. Um, And it is process driven, right? You have to create a process. But ultimately, that makes an impact. And that's the business side, right? Because I oftentimes you'll hear when things, um, a company is struggling, sometimes the the training piece is at risk, right? Right. Um, so being valuable or invaluable <laughs> is is critical. Um, so some advice for your listeners. Stretch yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Do something that you're not comfortable with. And, and here's my case in point. Um, I'm a very process-centered, linear thinker. I like everything to be neat and tidy in a box. I and I I don't like dealing with, I, I don't like dealing with ambiguity and I like order. Mm-hmm. I fit in perfectly well in academics, um, telecommunications, the mm-hmm. oil and gas industry, and Deloitte. Boy, did I love that environment. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to Leo Burnett Worldwide, which was a creative <laughs> agency. And my first year, I hated it mm-hmm. because it was a creative organization. It was very laissez-faire. It wasn't process-centered. And about a year into my employment there, I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, okay, the agency is this company isn't going to change to accommodate me. Right. So the, the agency is what it is. So I either need to leave or I need to embrace this and adopt the way I behave and operate um, to be able to, to cope. And what I, I decided to see it as a challenge. And I thought, boy, if I could make it here, I could make it anywhere. <laughs> and, 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 and I have to say, it ended up being mutually beneficial. One, I think the agency forced me to behave and operate and think in a way that is not how I naturally behave. Um, and I think that helped me grow as an individual, deal with ambiguity, be more creative, force me to to do things I wouldn't do before. On, on the same side, it actually helped accelerate my career because what I was bringing to the company. And I think one of the reasons why I'm still standing mm. uh, within Publis's group is I was able to bring a knowledge and a skill set and a discipline to an industry that didn't have it. So I thrive with program management, uh, holding people accountable, uh, providing some kind of discipline and process 
in an organization where that doesn't naturally fit mm-hmm. in. So right. I think so. So the lesson here is challenge yourself and step outside your comfort zone because the things you learn um, can, can can really pay off. Mm-hmm. So I one thing I've you know obviously you and I both have a a massive passion for travel. This position and and a few of your positions actually have afforded you is the opportunity to travel the globe <laughs> like a lot, not just occasionally. It's like, where is Sid? It's like, are you ever home? <laughs> <laughs> so I have clients who will say to me, you know, gosh, you know, when I say, tell me what are the three things that are important for you to be happy in your job? What, what would you love them to include? And I have clients who say to me, I really want to travel. Like, I don't want every day to be the same. So tell me about the life-work balance for that, because it all sounds great in theory to travel and be gone, but it also, you know, can provide some areas of opportunity. So kind of walk me through your perspective on work-life balance. So so a couple of thoughts. One, I, I do perceive myself to be a citizen of the world. I am very, very lucky. I feel like I can go anywhere in the world and I I, I may travel alone, but I'll never be alone because I feel like I can email or call somebody in, in any corner of the world and and know somebody there. So I'm never alone. Um, I think it's not so much about work-life balance and it is work-life integration. I think the days of work-life balance are Mm -hmm. over unless you're in a job that is clocking in and clocking out eight to five. Right. Um, So, 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 so a couple things. One, I do believe myself to be a global citizen, if you will. I, I like the international aspect of my job. So I think anybody that wants to travel or anybody that's interested in working or traveling abroad, you have a choice, right? I I make a conscious choice to work for a global organization that allows me to interact and travel to other parts of the world. If I'm not into that, I can work for a company that is domestic where I don't Mm -hmm. have that. So I think as people are looking at careers or jobs or opportunities, you have a choice in terms of of the travel. Um, for me, my job for the last 20 years has been a global role. Um, different parts of the world work different days, different hours. Um, so my email and my phone is is always on. Um, and I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I think the whole work-life integration comes into place as setting boundaries for yourself. And that includes, you know, I'm I'm happy to get on call starting at five or six o'clock in the morning. Um, I'll go until eight or nine o'clock at night, but then I stop, you know, I stop taking calls. I stop doing emails. Um, but then I trade that off by during the day. You know, I, I don't feel guilty going for a run at two or three o'clock in the day. I don't feel guilty going to pick up my kids at school or running a carpool. Um, in terms of the travel, um, I think one of the great benefits I have of my job is, you know, I'll use this as an example. I was in India for nearly two weeks, uh, two months ago, and it was hard work. Um, we had a very busy schedule, uh, but then aside from doing the hard work, if I wasn't working or sleeping, I had tour guides lined up uh, because I wanted to see Mumbai. I wanted to see Delhi. I wanted to see the Taj Mahal. Um, so part of it is, again, being naturally curious um, Mm -hmm. and learning, I wanted to learn about the culture of India. I wanted to hit the pavement and see what it was like there. Um, So it's all about integration. And 
and I will say, you know, now given where we are with, with the coronavirus, mm-hmm. m- my interest is peaked when I look at CNN and mm-hmm. I see what's happening in, in India and the right. slums and, and how the virus is spreading there. Because two months ago, I was walking through the slums of India and I right. feel like I'm a better citizen of the world. I have more empathy for what's happening there because yeah. I can't even imagine what it's like for those individuals in those slums that they have no privacy. They can't self-isolate. So right, right. it's about integration and, and then using that to your advantage. Right. Yeah. And I think you describing that, um, it really helps. It will help young adults to go, you know what? I'm hearing what Sydney's talking about. And I'm so excited about that. That sounds like me. That's what I want. And oftentimes it's just not really understanding what it looks like fully. You just don't have that lens. You can um, experience it in theory all you want. Um, I know you speak two languages and I think you're humble. I believe you speak more than that. Um, So tell me how important you think language is for what you do. Well, it's funny. I, I say I kind of feel like I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. That's okay. I believe it. I believe it is increasingly important. I think it is important to go through the process of learning a different language, um, so you just understand the nuisances of of a different language and mm-hmm. how to construct it and how to speak it. That said, I think in this day and age, um, mm-hmm. and with technology and communications, the ability to speak different languages may not become as important as it has in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I believe I'm probably at, at Publicis because I I have traveled. I am I've dual citizenship between uh the Netherlands and the EU um and the United States and I can speak different languages. So again I think part of it being a global citizen and mm-hmm. having an appreciation and understanding that we live in a global world that right. the USA is not the center yes. of the yeah. world um, is, is important. So, right. um, so I, I would, here's the thing, learning how to speak a different language is important. I would encourage any of your listeners get study abroad experience. You must have a global mindset. Yes. Um, and the only, I, I do believe that one of the ways to get that is go study abroad, go live with a family, go travel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if you don't do go, go study abroad, um, you know, travel internationally, just get outside of the borders of the USA. And, you know, one of the things um, when I travel by myself, which I often do, and I go to a country where I've not been, I will hire a tour guide um, and they'll want to take me to the museums. And, and yeah. I was telling them, I said, I don't, I don't want to go to the museum. I want to hit the, I want to hit the street, show me the good, bad, and the re- the mm-hmm. ugly. I want to experience the culture first and then I'll go see your art. Right, uh, right. But for me, just to go back to your languages, getting an understanding of different cultures and what a day in the life is like for somebody that doesn't live in your community or your state or your country uh, is important. Right. Well, and I know when we, you know, my husband worked for NATO and is, which is why we were in Europe for six years. Um, Everyone wants to speak English. They learn English. And I would say to my girls, you know, it's showing respect for being in their country that you try. You know, they don't expect you to be perfect, but I do think that the language piece, and it, it is an aptitude, by the way, Um, that's why some people get it and some people don't, obviously, if you learn it at a very young age, your brain is, you know, like a sponge. Um, but it does, it differentiates you. 
And if you're working and wanting to work for a global organization, it just, it shows that you, you get it. I, I agree. And here's an example and here, how that plays out for me frequently. Um, you know, I, I work and live in Chicago, Illinois, but my job is technically Paris based. So I go to Paris for work a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the Parisians have a really bad reputation of being rude to Americans. Mm-hmm, right. um, when I go to Paris and I go to a restaurant or a store, the first, if I'm greeted by you know, a, a waiter or a waitress or a, a, a store clerk, the first thing I will say in French is, I'm sorry, I don't speak French very well. May we please speak English? Mm-hmm. And me saying that in French seems to soften right, <laughs> the person. Right. And, you know, and their response would be, well, you speak French perfectly fine. Or they'll like, start that's speaking my English. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it's like, that's not <laughs> the only sentence I know. But I think to your point, I don't expect to walk anywhere in Paris and expect the world to center around me and for them to meet my needs, right? Right. I'm a guest in their country. I'm a guest in their restaurant. So I'm going to show respect or at least indicate that, Mm -hmm. you know, apologize for not knowing their languages. And I have just found that the whole demeanor of the people that I interact with changes significantly by me saying in French, I'm sorry, I don't speak French very well. Maybe please speak English. It changes things. Yeah, I I totally agree. And, you know, the great thing about your field, I always want to share some statistics. And, you know, I I did kind of the training and development specialist because you're obviously not going to start out where you are, right? Said, so um, we're about seven and 10% growth in the U.S., which is healthy. Um, The U.S. um, has about 37,000 jobs every year that need to be filled. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty significant number. Um, they start out about 32,060 as average, and then they hit that 100,000 mark. So the, country, the states that come behind that, which is funny because normally Texas um, is in there, um, and, and they are, where the, Florida actually comes in at the highest 21% growth, which is pretty significant. Uh, Texas, we have a 20% growth. California comes in behind that. But um, I always do kind of a Google search to see how many jobs are advertised right now. And in the U.S., there are 86,000 jobs that need to be fulfilled or filled. And, you know, I always look at Texas. um, We're about 4,000. I mean, that's it's just an, an incredible opportunity for an individual, like you said, who's curious, who's dependable, who has integrity, um, and wants opportunity for growth, because the sky is the limit, which is what I love about your career field. So as we kind of come to the end, or near the end, um, I always ask people for their three words of wisdom, (laughs) and just in said fashion, he told me, well, I actually have six. And I said, of course you do, overachiever. <laughs> so I'm going to turn it over to you and, and let you share. You've, you've shared some incredible stuff. So so, uh, so here, I, ha- I do have my list, and you can cut me off when you want to cut me off. I think um, the first one would be is to pre- pursue your passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are good and motivated by what they care about. So I would say if you're looking for a career or a job, it's just pursue your passion. It is easy to get sidetracked by 
shiny new objects by by a better title or better pay. Um, but I truly believe that if you don't pursue your passion, um, you're going to find jobs that you're not going to be pleased with. And, and while from a compensation title, it may get you what you want sooner, mm-hmm. you'll be unhappy. You may have to backtrack. So um, this is, I heard you say in another podcast, you know, this is a, a mar- this is a marathon <laughs> you know, and, a sprint, um, and, yeah. a, and not a sprint. So I, I would say pursue your passion. Second is pursue opportunities. Um, don't get too wrapped up in a position title or a specific role. Get your foot in the door. And I'll use two examples uh, that worked out well for me. I went from being an associate dean of undergraduate admissions, which was a nice title um, and a good respected position. And I took a job as a training coordinator, lugging overheads and preparing training manuals um, at WorldCom. I kind of had to, right, reel in my ego and my pride. But for me, it got my foot in the door at WorldCom, which was a well-respected company at the time. And 18 months later, I was the IT training manager responsible for the department. Um, Same story. When I was at Deloitte Consulting, um, I was leaving Deloitte Consulting. I was a first-time father. My daughter had just been born. Um, The position that was available at Leo Burnett was the Human Resource Information Services Support Manager. Um, And the hiring manager said to me, I think you can do this job. I think you'll be bored. Uh, but I think, give me your knowledge and skills. We can do something with you, you know, in about a year. And I said, you know what? I'm a new time father. I'm ready to get off the road. I want to spend time at home. Um, I'll, I see this as an opportunity to join Leo Burnett Worldwide. Um, so I'll take the job. And, and it worked out. I did what he wanted me for a year. And a year later, I was leading learning and organizational development at Leo Burnett Worldwide. So mm-hmm. again, it, if you find a company, and a hiring manager that could be a good fit for you, and you can partner with that person, then you got to look for those opportunities mm-hmm. and not get all tied up with title or compensation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really good statement, you know, just because half of my clients are actually adults. And so that's a great statement for them because sometimes, you know, they're wanting to pivot in their careers and, you know, and, and training can be a really good pathway, especially like for my educators. And I have a lot of teachers I work with, um, and they don't necessarily care about titles. They're they're really good about that. But for some people, they do. They get stuck up stuck on the title, and they're like, "Well, that I can't go backwards." But it's you you just hit the nail on the head how critical it is to get that opportunity to prove yourself that will pivot you or um, send you to a level that you never thought you could get to. Yes. And let the work speak. Your work will speak for itself, right? If right. you get your foot in the door and you do, do good quality work, then the your work product, assuming it's good and what you do and how you do it, how you do it, uh, will, will, will open those opportunities for me. And I have to say a lot of my coaching that I do with individuals are people that have, have achieved great results, but then how they go about achieving those results haven't always been great. So they leave a lot of mm people in their wake, right? Right. I mean, so so you can achieve great results and and be really disliked and nobody wants to work with you because you're a jerk. But mm-hmm. there's right. also people that that are truly leaders where they get results but they bring people along. But I'm gonna go back to my three words of wisdom because I only got two of them in. I know and before right. I interrupted you. Yes. <laughs> Continue on, Sid. <laughs> um 
The third one is to remain relevant. Mm. You know, the way to stay employed is to continue to reinvent yourself as needed. Um, if you stop developing yourself, if you become complacent in your job, you'll become irrelevant. So I, I would just encourage people to be an eternal student of life, remain relevant, uh, learn new skills, learn about the business, always kind of be a step ahead of where your industry or the company is mm -hmm. headed and, and be able to take on different roles, take on different opportunities um, and take on new challenges. Because I think if you're somebody that is continuing to evolve, um, then you're a difficult person to lose. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to add a fourth one that I think is important for your young clients as well as adults is to build and maintain relationships. Yeah. Um, I have, right, my iPhone is full of lots of people that I know. And if my phone rings and it's Dana Reader, um, I know it is <laughs> my friend. It. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, it is my friend that is just checking in to see how I'm doing as an individual. I will always pick up that call. And Dana, you know, I would do anything that you would ever ask of me. But there's also my phone will ring and I will see who it is. And it's somebody that is calling because they need something. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a difference. And I think in this day and age, when so much of it is about who you know and not what you know, yeah. I think it's critically important to maintain relationships with people and don't just call them when you need something. Call them to see how they're doing. Be mm -hmm. a good listener and check in with them and just stay in touch. And I think there's a, there's a big difference. Yeah, I agree. Authenticity, I always say you can't fake it. Right. Um, you know, right. people, they they see it and... Um, you know, it's one reason why we've stayed connected for so long, many, 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 many years. And I, I do think that sometimes we forget how important professional connections are and mentorships, you know, and <clears throat> what that mentor actually looks at or looks like. Um, and I love that, you know, we challenge one another. I think that's so critical. I had a, a gentleman who worked for me when I was actually in telecommunications. I think we were in telecommunications at the same time, which is funny. Um, he said, when two people uh, um, agree, one isn't needed. Like you need that person who gives you that honest feedback. Um, it's, it's critical for growth and development. I agree. And it's funny because when I interview people, one of the things I always look for is somebody that is willing to challenge me or mm -hmm. I don't want a yes man or a yes woman per se. Mm -hmm. um, I want somebody that is willing to challenge. And it's funny, I'll throw this in there. Um, a woman that was working for me, she and I were hiring somebody on our team and the interviewee said, well, what are you looking, what, what's the quality you look most for, um, for the person filling this role? And I said, I'm just looking for a good human being. Um, I can teach you and coach you to do some of the things that I'm going to need you to do. This isn't rocket science, mm -hmm. but I'm going to spend a lot of time with you. You're going to be on my team. I want a good human being mm -hmm. to spend time with. And the woman that worked for me, she goes, I can't believe you just said that. And I said, well, it's me being authentic, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend a lot of time with this person. And, and if you're a good human being and um, I, I, need, I want to be able to enjoy spending time with you right. on a day-to-day -day basis, um, we spend a lot of time at work. So you've got to enjoy what you're doing and the people you do it with. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, just, um, you know, a little reminder to all our listeners, um, you know, why I'm so passionate and why I'm so blessed to get to do what I do um, is because I believe in the power of formal career exploration. It is critical. And I know, Sid, you use assessments as well. Um, there's theory behind it, which makes them so powerful and the conversations, um, is where the magic happens. And so for young adults who are in high school or college, and they just don't even know what's out there. I think that's always what the biggest, uh, takeaway when people get to work and spend time with me is that they, their world gets to be open to people like Sid, that they don't even know exists or they think, oh, training is this and it is so much more than that so um and even for adults who haven't quite figured it out there's always possibilities and opportunities and um, i'm really passionate about that so um you can sign up on our website at whatyourcareerstory.com to get podcasts um every first of the month before they're actually posted on all of the um, podcast platform. So if you're interested in that. Um, so Sid, thank you so much. Uh, obviously, I always love getting to spend time with you and getting to collaborate is just such a such a blessing. And um, I know that you're going to have really given a lot of wonderful insight. I learned, which is another reason why I like to do these, is to continue to, to build on my knowledge base. And um, so I really appreciate all your words of wisdom and, and your time. Well, thank you for having me. And I wish you and all your clients continued success. Proceed with confidence. Proceed with confidence. He's so funny. He'll call and leave a message. First of all, he makes fun of my hours, which if all my clients work with me, they know that I don't work 10 to five, but I put that on there. And then he always ends it with, hand, proceed with confidence. So you can teach old dog new yes, tricks. Yes, you can. Right? <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it, Dave. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Thanks, everyone. And we will um, talk with you and do our next podcast very soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to What's Your Career Story? If you'd like early access to episodes, you can join us at whatsyourcareerstory.com. If you'd like to learn about career paths, sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is also available at whatsyourcareerstory.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.